Honestly, in my house, we didn't talk about money. And I think it just, for many people in their homes, it's a taboo subject. And especially when parents make decisions they're not proud of, they feel like they're supposed to be the person who is setting an example for their kids. And when they, you know, stumble and fumble, they don't want their kids to know that they're not perfect. And, you know, I fall into that sometimes as well, where I'm like, man, I, you know, do I actually have to apologize to my daughter for how I behaved, right? Like, and, and I think that we really want to show our best self to our kids. And so we don't share. That's why I want to tell my story, because I really feel like it reduces the shame. I mean, I've done stupid with money. I have, you know, overdrafted an account. I have hit the limit on a credit card. Like I said, we had over $90,000 in debt. And, you know, I want people to know that they're not alone in the struggles where where it concerns, you know, how you manage money. And I was an engineer and I wasn't doing everything I needed to do with money. And we were able to get free from that moment in time. And I want other people to know that they can do the same thing. Welcome to Real Stories, Journeys of Financial Wellness. I'm your host, Krista Lugazima. Today's guest is Erica Young. Like all our guests, we'll learn from her experience as she navigates her finances. Her and her husband tackled $90,000 worth of debt early in their marriage. As the parents of a college student and daughter starting off on her own, she's made communication about money a priority. Erica eventually embarked on a career as a money expert. Through her financial coaching and public speaking, she helps countless others reach their financial goals. And today, she shares her wisdom with her listeners. Let's meet Erica Young. Erica, welcome to Real Stories. So glad you could join us here today. Um, and I, I know. Um, one of the reasons I'm excited to speak to you is we'll have the opportunity not to only hear about all of your professional expertise, but also hear your personal story. And it's really that personal side of things that I wanted to start with today. Um, so I know that at one time in your life, you faced a mountain of debt. And I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit more. How much was it? How did it accumulate? What mix of debt did you have? Yeah, that's really important because. Honestly, back in the day, the way that we accumulated debt, my husband and I, it was pretty normal. <laughs> it was pretty normal, unfortunately. We um, went to college, and of course, there was student loan debt that followed us after we graduated and got our degrees. And so between the two of us, we had over $45,000 in student loan debt. Um, of course, we always say we need vehicles, right? And so um, there were two cars in the mix, and... A lot of people feel like that is a given. Um, the debt from that is a given. And then we had credit cards. So between us, we had seven credit cards. And it wasn't a lot on the credit cards, but we really didn't know how to manage credit cards well and really take care of our credit health. And so 
Um, between those, that's where it came from. We had over $90,000 in debt when we had to climb our way out of it. It took us about five years to do that with some focused intensity and uh, learning how to budget and learning how to stick with a debt reduction plan. But we were really serious about changing our family tree. We both came from single parent households and our mothers didn't know a whole lot about how to help us navigate um, college and that experience and after without debt. And um, so we had to kind of figure that out for ourselves and tripping and stumbling was a common occurrence. And likely that is where some of that debt came from. I mean, I see kids nowadays, they take out more loans than they need, right? And they don't really have a pulse on what that looks like. I see people getting vehicles that are super more expensive than what it is that they need in terms of transportation. And I absolutely see people spending on credit cards for more than just emergencies. And so it's really easy for that kind of stuff to rack up. And uh, we made that look easy too. Was there a a moment where the two of you became more self-aware of what it was? Like, did it sneak up on you? Did you know it was happening as the debt was building up? Or like, was there that that moment that sticks out? Well, kids will change lots of things. And so when we had our first daughter, we had an incident with the vehicle. Um, one of our cars died. Um, it It needed some major work. And that for us at that time in our early twenties, a thousand dollars was astronomical. We did not have that in an emergency fund and, and we didn't have it on credit cards. We just didn't have the access to that thousand dollars. So we had to wait. We went with one car, which wasn't the end of the world, but I will say that was the moment where we said, man, we we're professional. Like I'm an engineer. I, I make decent money. I thought, and I can't get this paid for, um, get this car repaired. And the interesting thing about that wake-up call was that we were able to actually get a car payment to replace the car because we had a vehicle as collateral and, or, you know, as a down payment and, you know, we could make payments. Well, certainly next month I can pay $350, but this month I can't pay a thousand. And so that, was the moment where we said we won't get stuck in that way again. We need to figure out how to have an emergency fund and what that looks like because we just didn't want to have that out of control feeling of, man, I make decent money. Why don't I have any money? Mm, so it was, it, so it's an interesting shift in your mindset is it wasn't just about paying off the debt. Obviously that was important, but also preventing the debt in the future to which having that emergency fund was going to be that crucial next step yeah, for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that was, yeah, we really felt irresponsible, honestly, in taking care of our daughter if we could not manage an emer- emergency of that size. And that was the moment we said, we got to do something different here and figure this budget thing out and understand what it looks like to save money and be consistent with that. And um, so in a sense, you know, our daughter taught us something. <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> um, and and I understand at some point, I'm not sure if it was when the debt was in the middle of being repaid, but when we had spoken previously, you mentioned that there was a job layoff that affected mm-hmm. your your family's finances. Can you speak to that? And also, like, how did you navigate that when that happened? Yeah. Yeah. My husband actually lost his job early on. We had um, a little one at the time, one little one. And um 
So she wasn't even in kindergarten at the time. And so that was stressful. Um, my husband wasn't out of work for very long, but again, you know, so we did my, we did have that thousand dollars or a little more than a thousand dollars, but that's not going to do much when you have a whole income. That's not, that's not there. And so that was nerve wracking. You know, you have heart palpitations and you wonder, you know, how things are going to work out. And so we absolutely took advantage of unemployment. We stopped, you know, doing the extra things like a lot of dining out. Um, and we weathered that storm and and really just pulled back on a lot of things. And so and that wasn't the only layoff that we had to go through. Um, thankfully, when other ones occurred, we were in a better financial position to to weather that storm. But yeah, we held our breath quite a bit <laughs> during that season. But at that point, we knew how to budget and we knew where we could remove some of the fluff and slow down and some of the other things. And so he was only out of work for a month. And like I said, we de- definitely took advantage of unemployment. Um, but we figured out how to navigate that through the use of consistent tracking of our spending and monitoring everything that came in and everything that went out. And that was vital during that time, for sure. I can imagine. Yeah. And you had alluded to both uh, you and your husband having been raised in a single uh, parent household. And so I was wondering, like, what did the upbringing uh, that each of you had, um, start with yourself, what kind of influence did that have on you? Not just in your immediate uh, family, but I, I know from previous conversations, you also had some strong influence to extended family, grandparents and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. My mother is very is a very hard worker. Um, she worked over forty years before she retired, like forty five to be exact, um, years before she decided to retire. And I saw her graduate from college. I saw her get her master's degree. She did all of that with her children, and um, so I, you know, I definitely see her as a powerhouse, a strong woman. That doesn't, however, mean that she was not affected by having one income and wanted to keep her daughters in a place where she felt that they were safe. So we definitely were in suburbs and um, and, tr- and she tried to keep us in a nice home environment. Um, not extensive, not extravagant by any stretch, but I do remember, you know, when it was payday and we needed clothes, she was like, all right, let's go. And I remember when there were days she was like, all right, no, 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 we can't spend any money because we got to wait till payday. And so definitely I witnessed paycheck to paycheck living in our household. Um, I was, you know, as I was a teenager and going into college, I was a little bit more concerned about, am I going to have to take care of mom? Am I going to have to take care of dad? Because dad, um, was not an, uh, a high income earner either on his own. And um, thankfully, they, you know, are both retired and they're doing fine. But I just worried about, you know, when I saw that it was feast and famine quite a bit with the both of them individually, how that would play out in terms of me having to help out financially. And so um, that's partly why I had such a strong you know, desire to get our financial house in order and really be a spearhead in that way, because I really wanted to ensure that my daughters didn't have that type of mental burden of wondering, would they have to take care of me? Would they have to take care of us? You know, and so, um, but mom, she did the best she could. She definitely, I would see her balance a checkbook. I saw her use a check register. I'm appreciative of the fact that she was diligent, 
but um, it definitely felt like a lot of living on the edge simply because um, of one of the biggest things was where we chose to live, where she chose to have us living. Um, I'm sure we could have lived somewhere a little less expensive, but um, honestly, you know, she gave us as much as she could without having to feel like she needed to say no all of the time. So that was a big, big impact on me. And was was there any influence uh, prior to the, our um, recorded interview? You had mentioned that your grandfather and the way that he approached um, spending cash had an influence yeah. on you. Yeah, absolutely. Grandpa was he was the man like he he was always suited. He always had a, a hat on. He was just cool to look at. He looked like he had money and he was a reverend. Um and he definitely kept cash, holidays, birthdays, special occasions. He always gave us cash. And I admired that because I knew that, like, I understood, especially when I was a teenager, that that, that wasn't on credit. Like, he didn't have debt. And um, there was one moment. Now, this is my dad's father. My parents were divorced when I was nine. And after they divorced, my grandfather took cash out of his wallet and bought my mother, his ex-daughter-in-law, a vehicle. Like that was humongous. Like when I and and that is a vehicle that I ended up driving when I was a teenager. She gave that to me um when I needed a car to get to and from my little job and get to, you know, to all of my activities. But early on, like when I was 10 or 11, my grandfather bought her a car. And I just thought, oh my gosh, like who does this? It, I just still I am amazed that my grandfather had enough money to do that. And I'm pretty sure at the time it was around a $6,000 vehicle, which doesn't sound like much today, but that thing was pretty close to being new at that time. <laughs> and I just thought, man, he's, I want what he has. I, I want to live the way he lives, like have the opportunity to be generous to people that he cares about. Um, and also to not have to worry about money. He, he wasn't an extravagant man. He lived in an apartment, um, but he always looked good. He carried himself well, and he always had cash. And I just said, okay, this is something that I can take into my life as well. Yeah, it seems like there was a lot of intention into yeah. He spent money at times, but certainly mm -hmm. with intention. Mm -hmm. Um so what inspired you to share your story, not just with us today, but in general, as we'll we'll get into what you do for a living in a second. But I know sharing your money story is something that you do on a regular basis. Where did that come from? Honestly, in my house, we didn't talk about money. And I think it just for many people in their homes, it's a taboo subject. And especially when parents make decisions they're not proud of, they feel like they're supposed to be the person who is setting an example for their kids. And when they, you know, stumble and fumble, they don't want their kids to know that they're not perfect. And, you know, I fall into that sometimes as well, where I'm like, man, I, you know, do I actually have to apologize to my daughter for how I behaved? Right. Like, and, and I think that we really want to show our best self to our kids. And so we don't share. And I really wanted, I started with my kids. Honestly, I taught my daughters the difference between debt and debit. They went to our financial classes when we were learning how to do all this stuff. And um, that was important to me that they have a language around money. I remember times when my daughter 
came home from school and she was like, oh my gosh, school was boring. I'm tired of this stuff. She was like, mom, teach me what a mortgage is. I just want to know. Like, <laughs> and, and she wanted to hear real life stuff about money. Now she's a grown adult now, and I can't imagine, you know, that it's easy for her now. It's not. Um, but I will say that she has a language for money and that's why I want to tell my story because I really feel like it reduces the shame. I mean, I've done stupid with money. I have, you know, overdrafted an account. I have hit the limit on a credit card. Like I said, we had over $90,000 in debt. And, you know, I want people to know that they're not alone in the struggles where, where it concerns, you know, how you manage money. And I was an engineer and I wasn't doing everything I needed to do with money. And we were able to get free from that moment in time. And I want other people to know that they can do the same thing. You mentioned like how money can be such a taboo subject. Is there anything you might share as to how to get others to break free from that? Like, have you had any success as you talk about your story to get others to talk about their story? And I know it's different. Like, I know in my case, like I was a financial counselor, you've 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 been a financial coach, right? So there's that context for people sharing their story there because you're able to give them advice, of course. But just even in your everyday life with your friendships, with your family, have you had any success getting others to open up? You know, I lead with where I have stumbled or I lead with, you know, what we're up to. So I'll say, so for instance, we talk about how recently my husband and I were considering moving, getting a different home. And instead of that, we said, oh, you know what? Let's just remodel our kitchen. <laughs> that is significantly less money. And um, we talked through that decision-making process. We talked to my mother about it. We talked to friends about it. My husband, had at one point, he had come home and said, we're moving. It's over. I'm done. We're sick of this house. It's over. And I'm like, what is going on? And so that's obviously a big decision, moving or spending money on remodeling a home. But even in the little things like, you know, how you tip and um, how you, you know, do you buy this thing for your kids or not? How, you know, college planning tips and things like that. I mean, you know, I lead with here's where I'm stuck or here's where, you know, I have questions or here's what we're facing right now. And um, so I don't absolutely take the posture of I know everything. Nope. I just say, here's here's where we are. We don't share everything. We're not that detailed. Um, but I think it's okay for people, you know, we try and normalize it by, by leading the effort. And then the other thing I think is just um, a really good question for people is, you know, when they're talking about money matters and things like that is, okay, so what makes you say that, you know, or how do you feel about this? Or um, what are your thoughts on this? And just invite them into a conversation really naturally and easily um, to get folks to open up without asking questions about how much do you spend on dining out? You know what I mean? Like that's not, or, or I try and avoid questions that start with why, because that's accusatory. And so- yeah. Trying to remove just, the judgment from. Yeah, I yeah, just want to be yeah. curious. I just want to be curious. Does this make sense? How do you feel about this? And that kind of thing. So what inspired you to start a career in personal finance? Walk me through what that moment was like as you were first thinking about it and then how that evolved. Yeah, it actually started when we paid off all of our debt. Like that, 
euphoria of knowing that I wasn't going to have to pay these different payments. And between all of our payments, it was over $1,200 a month at one point, two car notes, this huge student loan bill and some credit cards. And that was more than our childcare bill at the time. It was more than, or exactly the same as our mortgage. Like it was significant. And so the excitement of, oh my gosh, that money doesn't have to go out anymore. That's amazing. And we can make different choices. And so I wanted other people to feel the same way. I talked with my pastor at the time and he said, you know what, there's some people that you might want to talk to. And so I had some volunteers to that I could, you know, help them with their budget and see how they felt. And when I started to see their faces and their eyes light up and the light bulbs go on in their head and um, them get excited about, oh, wow, I actually have a plan like this. This feels good. Like I don't have all of the answers and we're not at the finish line. But today I know what's going to happen with my, my money. Just that feeling when I volunteered with those two people that I've never forgotten. Um, that was just exciting to see that happen for them. And I just wanted that to happen for more folks and be a part of witnessing that for as many people as I could. So what does your day to day look like? Um, like I assume it's you had started a small business in the field, yeah. which with itself comes with a whole uh, learning process and figuring out the finances of the business itself. But yeah, what does that business actually look like? Well, for 18 years, I was predominantly about 80 to 90 percent of my time was working with people one on one. Um, I had to grow to that year one and year two. I did not have a full financial coaching practice. Um, I did things that I didn't want to like bookkeeping and just to see, you know, I worked with businesses or um, things like that. And then as time went on, I would say a good three, four years in, I was like, okay, I think if I have this many clients that I can keep myself busy full time and make decent money. And, and so I really started working towards that goal and, um, networking. And, you know, later on, I would say about six years ago, seven years ago, I started speaking and doing workshops. And so that took up time. Um, and I wrote a book. And so, you know, more of my time here in the later years, the more recent years, I have, you know, I'm doing more workshops and presentations and speaking and things like that. Um, but I still like talking to people one-on-one -on -one about their finances. So I still do a lot of that work. I'm really excited about financial wellness in the workplace as a benefit to employees that the employer pays for. And um, that's the kind of work that I'm focused on now, working with um, scholarship cohorts of, of young people to help them um, as they're making decisions on their finances for college and also and, and even pre-college and also cohorts of, you know, women who are entrepreneurs that um, are looking to get their financial house in order so that they have a solid foundation. That's the kind of work that I'm doing to affect groups of people in an impactful way um, and not just the one-on-ones all the time. Yeah, kind of have that variety and and also just draw from all the experience you had from talking yeah. to people one-on-one. -on -one. It's, you know, even though I've been at Green Path forever, it's been a similar career path for myself of just taking that knowledge of talking to countless individuals one-on-one -on -one and putting it into a podcast or all the other great work that uh, that 
each of us does. Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, so I know um, you had approached us uh, uh, not too long ago, which is how this interview got set up. Yeah. What are your impressions of um, what you've noticed from afar as someone else who's part of the same industry that Green Pass in, uh, but just kind of observing uh, what Green Pass is about? I know you spent a lot of your years in Michigan where Green Path is based, but uh, yeah. what have you noticed? Well, I I love an an admiration of any company that is helping people to up level their financial wellness game, honestly. And so I became a fan, if you will, of Green Path when I noticed um, that they work with credit unions. I do work um, with training coaches who are you know, delivering financial wellness programs at credit unions. And so um, that is a way that I found out about what Green Path is up to. And um, just really, it's helpful because what's interesting is that I think that this is something my mother would have loved years back. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of programs, systems, um, educational programs that will help people that I wish I had. <laughs> and so the truth is that when I was young and dumb with money, I wish I had a green path. My I I had one um moment in time where I had this delinquency on my credit report because I didn't realize this cycle of a credit, you know, the way that your credit cards work and I just didn't pay it on time. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I got to pay this whole $600 bill." And no, you could pay $20 on time. Like I didn't understand it. And I wish that I had someone there to help guide me and and make better choices. And so, um, and I'm sure that there's lots of people who wish that they had someone to actually talk to when they're trying to make some of these decisions. And um, and responsible use of credit is one of those. Um, how you utilize, how you, how you improve your score. I mean, that's just huge. So, I mean, in our 20s, this is, important stuff. And if you never learn it, then, you know, no matter where you are in life, I mean, these things are, it's just important, important information that is, that is so helpful. And so I just, you know, I'm just, I I love being a part of knowing that financial wellness is out there for many different groups of people. And so um, the way that you administer it, like in terms of Green Path has a reach that is far and wide, and that's just exciting to, to be able to see so many people get helped. Yeah. And you mentioned like with credit unions, we have partnerships with over 500 credit unions around the country. Um, interestingly, you mentioned like, oh, I wish when I was in my 20s, like we existed, we were still there. It's yeah. just not always easy to connect the dots for for people to to know that us and similar organizations exist um, yeah. during that moment. Yeah. In my credit union, I know they did not have anything <laughs> at the time. And um, I wasn't clear on what it looked like to go find programs like that. And so it's interesting how in the last, just as because professionally, this is what I do. I'm much more aware, but the common person, um, it, it needs to be attached to something. And so it's good to hear, you know, and know that Green Path is attached to um, so many different credit unions. So people have access to that. Absolutely. So it in your in your personal life, so your husband and and yourself are now empty nesters. Yes. Um, how are you trying to empower your daughters to make good money decisions? Oh, I'll be honest with you, it's one of the hardest things. It is one of the hardest things. Not so much. I have a I have a you know rising second year student in college, but my oldest, who was out on her own, she's got her own apartment, she's working, she's got a decent job. 
um, the hardest thing is making sure that she can save and the cost of living, like talking her through all of that. Um, She definitely pays her bills on time, but this day and age, there's a lot of pull for um, having certain clothing or have, she's a person who loves to travel. And so she does a budget, whether or not she sticks with it is a whole different matter. And so we're just kind of working with her on the importance of doing these things. The best thing that I can say is that we've set her up for success and she's got no debt, no, no student loan debt, no credit card debt, no car debt. And so in that regard, she has a solid starting point. Um, but I think consistency, one of the biggest things that I said to her recently was, you know, we have your back. You know that we are fully in support of you and we're not going to let you um, trip and stumble over yourself so many times that you can't get back up. So um, I think that not leaving them out there hanging is is really important, but talking through their money decisions. So one of the biggest things we're doing right now is we're helping her move into another apartment that's a little less expensive than where she was. Um, that'll help her save a little bit more money. And um, so that's exciting. And then we've definitely told her she's already started. She's been saving in her 401k since since she was able to. And so that is really great to see. So um, we're just really having to have lots of conversations over and over again to just continue to encourage her to stay focused on her money goals because they have a lot of shiny things that they want right now. And um, for her in particular, travel is the thing. So, (laughs) Yeah, that hits home for me too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What budgeting tips might you share? I I know you have a favorite analogy about a well-manicured lawn. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the budget is like the heartbeat of everything. People, I've heard it said so many times that um, I can't budget because I don't have enough money or I don't have enough money, so I can't budget. And I think what we're missing is that, you know, you might not have been proactive or intentional with that budget, but you have one and whether or not you, the reason is because you have bills, you have income, you just didn't write it down all on paper to see it before it actually happened. And so, yeah, I I think that the budget, it touches everything. So it it is the heartbeat because you can't literally do much of anything. You can't lay your head down at night, wake up and take a shower or, you know, get to a workplace or eat anything you, without money. And so the budget helps to uh, make all of that real. And, you know, I like to say that people can identify a, a home that is unkept just by walking up to it. They can see weeds and overgrown bushes and, you know, wilted flowers and debris and um, just trees that are, you know, hanging down to the ground, like they can see, wait a minute, if it looks like this on the outside, what in the world is it going to look like on the inside? And so we're kind of cautious and um, hesitant and we're not wanting really to see, to see more. Honestly, we're not sure what we're going to get. And when we walk up to a home that is well manicured, that the grass is green it, it, and there's beautiful um, flowers and the sidewalk has been swept and the bushes are nice and round and the trees are just luscious. I mean, you're like, well, I, I might want to know more. And here's the deal. I might want to go into the house. And it takes money 
or it takes skill. It takes fertilizer, water. It takes time to get a well-manicured lawn. And so we can't miss the fact that a well-manicured lawn takes something from someone, even if you're paying someone else to do it, right? That person has to have the skill, the tools, you know, and the patience and the time and all of that in order to to make it happen. And so we've got to do that with our money. Our money loves attention, you know? And so if we give it the time, if we use tools, if we talk to someone who has skills um, and we understand what it takes to, you know, have the outside and the inside of our financial picture um, just well manicured, that's, huge. It's huge. And is it perfect? Absolutely not. But um, is our journey perfect to get there? No, it will not be. But if we can, you know, imagine what's possible, if we just pay attention to our finances on a routine basis, you know, that well-manicured lawn for your finances is possible. And I, I think that really underscores an important point, right, is it's the time more than anything else. Yeah. You know, the the actual lawn is probably going to cost money, even if you're doing it yourself. Fertilizer costs money, et cetera. Putting time into your to your budget is something that there are free resources that exist, whether they're humans to talk to and bounce ideas off of, whether they're digital tools that exist and things like that. Um, but it's just, you know, that intention, that time, which can be scary, can be scary to look at the mirror with, uh, to realize, to have that awareness that, oh, guess I am. Maybe I'm stumbling right now, but I could learn from it. Yeah. Um, so is there anything else that you've learned? I know you've talked to countless people about money. Like, what have you been observing of late over these last couple of years, especially um, as inflation uh, has really driven people's budget uh, towards the edge? What have yeah. you noticed? Yeah, I think inflation is, is scary for everybody. Um, no one really knows how to navigate that. It's very uncomfortable. There's so much uncertainty, job uncertainty, um, and people are making decisions based on um, fear, to be honest with you. And that is scary. The biggest thing that I'm telling people right now is maximize your savings, put as much as you can into savings. If you if you need to cut something out, reduce something here and there, make sure that you've got dollars and savings. I'm also telling people to look back at their budget and say, okay, if inflation, you know, there, there was, a, I haven't looked at it recently, but there was a moment when it was eight and a half percent. And I'm like, okay, so let's look in the budget and see, can you reduce anything by eight and a half percent or four percent, for instance, of your income so that you can weather that portion or increase your income by a little bit um, in order to to make up for that, if you will. Um, let's let's be intentional again. And that word is is so important. Um, what I'm saying to young people and parents of rising college students is be very, very choosy in your choice. Like, just be very cautious um, because I'm very concerned about uh, the cost of college education. It is alarming. Um, and it is, I don't believe the right, I, I don't, I think it's a privilege for parents to participate in helping their kids to do that. Um because if it means that your financial future is being impacted, we just, <laughs> that's a hard thing, a pill to swallow. Kids have options. Young people have options in how they do college. Um, and it don't, all, don't doesn't always have to in, 
entail debt. And so I just think that um, the rising student loan crisis is huge. Um, And I also think that communicating about money is vital. It is absolutely vital. And so learning the language of your partner, your spouse, learning how to be just a bit more open with your kids about what you can and cannot do, um, where where the healthy boundaries begin and end is super important. And so um, I don't think people need to talk about money every single day, but I do think we need to normalize that conversation so we're not making decisions based on um, assumptions. And so that that goes, you know, that can fall into many different categories. So when we're trying to figure out how to weather this storm with um, inflation and um, job uncertainty, you know, expressing those concerns with your partner is super important. You know, um, when we're talking with our kids about how to be responsible with money, give them the opportunity to try. I think it's really important for kids to have $20 in their pocket and they get a chance to spend their own money on their Dairy Queen or, you know, whatever, and they can feel the impact of that. I think that's an important life lesson at a young age. Um, and I think that parents need to be super duper involved in helping with their kids' college choice because that is the single biggest decision that they're going to make. And no 18-year-old is really prepared for that. Um, and so we've really got to um, guide them, show them many options, and do research with them and don't let it all fall on their shoulders because that is that is a high expensive price to pay. So um there's a lot going on right now. And I think that um, we just really need to make sure that we are, you know, also on top of our skill sets, right? So we never know what the job market is going to do. And if there's a set of, you know, places in your skill set that you might need to enhance or work on, let's let's do that too. Get those resumes together, get the LinkedIn profile together, because you just n- never know. You None of this is um, guaranteed. So um, we've got to take care of our own personal economy um, while we're paying attention to what's going on in the larger economy. What did that look like for you? Like you mentioned, you have your younger one is um, in college right now. Like walk me through what that decision looked like as she was looking at, you know, different college options. Yeah, it was, it was a challenge. It was an actual challenge. Um, She wanted to go yeah, I think I'll say it. It's fine. It's where Green Path is in Michigan. She wanted to go to the University of Michigan. That's where I went. Um, and but I lived in Michigan at the time. And Michigan out of state tuition, since we're in Indiana, is astronomical. And so, but she was that she had her heart set. She's a business, you know, business-minded human. And she's like, I'm going into business, I'm gonna do this. And um, she had many different options. We did take her to several different places. We did not absolutely not put all of our eggs in one basket. Um, but she was able to get money in lots of different places. Um, and the, you know, I think one tip for parents is really to understand that lots of different schools, lots of different programs in state tuition for Michigan and lots of students, going to be just fine. But when it's out of state, and this goes for lots of schools, um, out of state tuition can be a big hill to climb for many people. And so though we looked at other out of state schools, um, we also pretty much forced her to look at the in-state schools as well. (laughs) Um, 
And she really did not want to go to one in particular, but they are the ones who gave her the most money. Um, And so we had a really, you know, heart to heart conversation about all of it. And we just said, um, honestly, it it just doesn't make sense to choose some of these out of state options because when you have this in your hand, you are a great student and um, you can pretty much go to school for free you know, this makes the most sense financially. And I, you know, one of the things that we did with her was to share, here's what it would look like for loans to pay back. We had a, we had a little nest egg for college tuition for her. Um, but it didn't, it would not have covered four years in an out-of-state university. And um, we just kind of went through that calculation. And I think that's one thing that a lot of parents miss is letting their kid know this is going to turn out to be a $500 per month payment. Um, and even if the government does help a little bit, it might be $10,000, right? So I, I just did some of those numbers with her to bring the reality to it. And honestly, the truth of the matter is that we cried together. <laughs> we had to um, let go of one of the dreams. Like ultimately, you know, she was like, I think this is where I'm going. She stayed in state. She is now at Indiana University. And the truth is, after her first year, she's really enjoyed it. It's turned out to be great. Um, And so, and she's looking forward. Matter of fact, she's going back to do a summer program to help other kids make the decision to come to Indiana Indiana University. And, um, And the other thing is, I think we miss this too, is that if our kids are interested in higher education beyond the bachelor's degree, like I think she might be, you know, there's always that option to, to have, you know, that secondary degree to, um, to, you know, as, as when she goes to some of these other schools or have her company pay for, um, her to go back to school and things like that. So there are options. And so when you, you know, bring the reality reality to the forefront. That's important. I've also talked with lots of parents about going to a community college, you know, for the first couple of years to get the prereqs out of the way. Um, so much more less expensive um, and being able to stay at home and work and things like that. And that's worked out for lots of people to save money, especially when um, scholarships or access to the dollars wasn't there. So there, we have options. We just have to employ them. Yeah. And and I think one of the points you made is sitting down, try to calculate, like, what will it look like several years from now? I imagine that a lot of our listeners, a lot of parents thinking about that might be like, how would I even start? How do I calculate? Like, yeah, you could multiply the tuition by four, but calculating student loan payments can be a challenge. They don't make it easy. They don't make it transparent to know what that is. Um, so that is one of the things to take advantage of free resources out there. Talk to someone at GreenPath. We could actually point you to different resources that can help you crunch those numbers. Because um, I just want to acknowledge that that's such an important step, but it's also just as intimidating to many parents as it might be to the students as well. And I think that's why we don't do it as parents, because if we're intimidated, you know, again, it's just breaking down the barrier to feeling like we have to know it all. I think it's okay to not know it all and go seek out the answers, right? And as parents, we feel like we're supposed to know it all. So then stuff doesn't happen because we can't get over ourselves. And so that's important. That's I think that's really, really important to do. And um, if we can do that, everybody's better for it. Absolutely everybody's better for it. 
for sure. Um, now you had talked uh, a little bit about couples and, and money and, and just trying to get on the same page. What have you learned from your own experience, not only when when you guys were younger, but just even of of late as you're shepherding your your daughters through college and into adulthood? How has that journey been uh, with yeah. your husband and coming together with that? I'll be honest, like it doesn't actually get easier. You just have different money conversations to have, right? So um, we're used to having money conversations. And by that, I just mean, maybe we'll talk about the budget one day. Maybe we're talking about um, a vacation. Last week, we spent time planning, you know, a vacation where we're all going to see family and, um, you know, just money conversations can be far and wide. It could be, where are we going to dinner? How much are we spending? Is this the right place? It could be, do we need to spend this money on these clothes? It could be, the dog's got to go to the vet. And how much is all of this costing, right? And where is this money coming from? Do we need to adjust the budget? How much is in savings? There's a million money conversations. And so we're comfortable always having them. The challenges then change though, right? Our challenge today is, is really being a good steward over our time with our daughters to help them understand. Um, Our challenge today is to make sure that we're consistent so that our future continues to be on the path we're hoping that it's on right now. Um, And so basically we're playing a little defense to make sure that we're not messing anything up, right? Um, We're different people. My husband and I are definitely different people. He is, when we first got married, he was much more of a spender. um, And I was the nerd. When we, and and that's, that plays into me doing the budget and that kind of thing and paying the bills. I just got lots of satisfaction out of that. Um, And we had to communicate there, but him, you know, being a spender means that I got to have a little bit more fun and me being a saver or um, someone who's a nerd, you know, means that we started saving early um, consistently and that benefits us long-term. And so both of us were needed. I think that the shift lately has been that I'm much, much more of, um, I've become more of a spender, not probably in the same way, but um, I like to enjoy, I like to have experiences. I love to travel and he's much more of a nerd about, um, you know, saving for the future and things like that. And so our roles have changed a little bit. And I think the biggest thing is understanding one another. And I, I feel like, the question I tend to ask or the statement I I tend to say more often is tell me more about that or help me understand. Um, Just last night we had a conversation. Um, He's his, there's a priority he has. And I think, Oh, it's not that big a deal to me. And it, but, and I said, you know what? I said, I think what's happening here, because we had a little tension about it and he's much more urgent about it. And I'm like, I get it you, this is a higher priority for you than this other thing that I'm thinking about. And for me, yeah, I just don't care about this. I could do this in three months. It doesn't have to happen in the next month. And when I said that, we were like, oh, okay. Not that it was resolved, but we had an understanding. And so now we could actually have a productive conversation rather than one filled with tension because you know, no, we weren't on the same page and we still probably aren't on the same page, but we actually understand that, you know, 
the perspective we each have is important and we're going to have to talk it through to figure out what the resolution is. So we have to slow down. I think one of the biggest things is I've learned to actually slow down in decision making so that I can actually hear what he has to say and he hears what I have to say. And I think that's important. We, We rarely make split second decisions and certainly not on anything large. But as you said, just the importance of getting your needs, in his case, his needs out in the open, just so you have that starting point to keep going. Um, I'll close with one of my favorite questions. What advice would you have for your younger self? Oh, gosh. Um, Honestly, I would tell a younger version of Erica, you're going to make mistakes, but you're going to be okay. Um, and be consistent, be consistent, be consistent. So be consistent with budgeting, be consistent with savings, be consistent with trying to stay out of debt. Um, but you're going to make mistakes and you will be able to bounce back or get back up. If you trip and fall, it's going to be okay. Um, I think if we pretend or if we tell young people it's going to be a perfect ride if you do this blah 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 (laughs) then that's not based in any type of reality and so um letting you know my younger self know that you're gonna make some mistakes and you will be okay at at the end of it is i think valuable information is that as easy advice to give to your daughters now um it's real (laughs) I think as a parent, I have to tell myself it's okay if she makes those mistakes. Like I've told her that she's not going to do it perfectly. I've let her know, or both of them know that, you know, my youngest is really not interested in budgeting (laughs) already, but I'm like, you're going to make mistakes. It's not going to be easy. And I think when they do, or if they do, I have to be okay and know they are going to be okay and and not to be the rescuer every time. Um, and also not think that, oh my gosh, they're crazy. They're tripping over themselves. This is nuts. Um, that they're bad people because they've done that. No, I've done stupid before as well. So, um, so I think I have to take a step back when I know that some of this is a learning for them and that's okay. Wise words. You know, I, I guess as long as they're uh, at the same or maybe adjusting for inflation of what you and your husband faced however many years mm-hmm. ago, they'll still yeah. come out the other side if Absolutely. they take the learning opportunity, right? Yes. Well, and that's the other thing is, you know, we were very involved in my daughter's decision on this um, apartment search for this next place. And that is how she's weathering inflation for herself. I mean, she's going to save $250 a month. And that's exciting to me as a parent to give her that opportunity to to um, to save those dollars and to help have helped her in that way. Um, and so hopefully that turns into she can now since she for a year was paying that out. Let's put that in the savings, you know, so she has the opportunity. Let's see what she does with it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Erica, not only for sharing all the financial wisdom that you have um, from your career, but uh, being a little vulnerable and sharing a little bit about your family dynamic, including, as you said, even a conversation you had with your husband just last night. This this is everyday life. Just because you become an expert doesn't make it any easier in day-to-day living. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me.
I'm joined by my co-host Shamika as we reflect on Erica's story. And both of us wanted to focus on different aspects of one of the things that Erica was talking about, and that is paying for college uh, and thinking about the decisions, both from the standpoint of the student, but also of the parent. And I'll start with you, Shamika. I, I know that as Erica shared her story about her daughter's decision between the University of Michigan and going to school in state in Indiana, that there was some conflict there. So what were your what were your reflections on that? Yeah, so I definitely my initial reaction was feeling sympathy for both Erica and her daughter. Um, I under, I definitely understand and can relate to that feeling of wanting to go to your dream university and thinking about what your future would be like there. But ultimately, they made the best decision for them in this economy, and especially with the rising cost of tuition. Um, it's definitely going to be a benefit in the long run, especially not having to have student loan debt. Um, so even though it was tough, and they both cried together, and I definitely definitely felt that, but they did make the best decision at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's, it is such a hard decision, right? Because as parents, you know, a theme that I'll often hear is like, I want to be able to provide a better opportunity for my child than I had, which is admirable. And I get it. The, the question sometimes becomes, if you leave yourself bare financially, what are the alternatives in that situation versus if the child or the student has to make a sacrifice, what other options do they have? And let's start with the student for a second. Um, so, and, and Erica alluded to this uh, in our interview uh, in, in, in some regards. So one is community college, right? That could be an option to help reduce the cost, at least for the first couple of years in state schools or, or certainly looking at, uh, you know, cheaper tuition type of situations. One of the other things that uh, a student might have at their disposable uh, at their disposal could be getting grants if they're eligible for that, looking into scholarships. And scholarships are not just academic based. Uh, there's a variety of different scholarships uh, that are out there. Um, and ultimately, uh, even even working through school, that was something she mentioned as well, right? Uh, you know, contributing towards your education. Now, let's flip that around for a second. And let's say a parent just completely strips their finances towards uh, supporting their their child to, to go to school. And let's fast forward a little bit. They're retired now. Maybe their income potential is is less. What options do they have at that point? The thing is, they there aren't scholarships or grants available for retirees that are on a fixed budget that are struggling financially. It's not to say that there isn't assistance. I mean, that's one of the reasons why organizations like GreenPath exist uh, to make uh, the best of, of those difficult situations. But the options are far less, right? They, you know, the, the ability to borrow, borrow your way out of it is going to be a lot more difficult, you know, in that kind of circumstance. And ultimately, if it plays out, you know, I've, I've had parents tell me like, well, you know, if it came down to it, I would just, I'll just live with my kid if I have to. And I remember once someone said something to that effect and I said, well, is your kid okay with that? He said, yeah, no, we've had that conversation. I said, okay, but when did you have that conversation, right? Did you have that conversation with your kid when they were 20, when they were single? And then if you played out 10, 15 years later, when they might be with someone else, might have a family, are they or are you going to feel differently about it at that point? So um, again, it's not to say that these are easy decisions uh, to make by any stretch, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that Erica kind of lifted that up 
Uh, and, you know, even from someone from her standpoint who has a lot of expertise in the field, that doesn't make it any easier when you're living it, as she alluded to, as she as she cried with her daughter. And it sounds like, Shamika, that you were you were resonating with that as as she described that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with that, uh, I thank you, as always, uh, for uh, sharing your thoughts. Thank you. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Erica, please check out her website, www.ericayoung.com. That's E-R-I-C-K-A-Y-O-U-N-G.com. Special thanks to Hero for our theme music, which will play us out. Here's hoping each of you enjoy your journey of financial wellness as much as your destination. Welcome back, Hero.